0: Hey there, I'm Joshua Sheehan. Welcome to the RV Entrepreneur Podcast. The RV Entrepreneur is a community for RVers that are exploring ways to financially support themselves while living their RV life. And today we have the pleasure of speaking with Heidi Dusick. Heidi is an adventurous working mom and entrepreneur. She helps families connect through simple and authentic adventures on her podcast, Ordinary Sherpa, her Instagram feed, website, and book, through speaking and community building events. The Do Six are an adventure-loving family with three kids under 12 who leverage their skills and assets to design an adventurous life. They specialize in connecting families by creating meaningful experiences with adventures, big and small. And I really enjoyed talking with Heidi today. It's a super fun conversation. She's got a lot of energy and her podcast is super fun to listen to. I really enjoyed talking shop with her and talking about the entrepreneurial side of the business and how finding your tribe and creating community and culture and then turning that into something that's side hustle. that can provide a little bit of income. And then also just their plans of you know, having a gap year and how they're, they're formulating and forming their life around their intentionality and, and what they want to get out of life and building things to get to that goal. And if you didn't catch the news, the RV Entrepreneur Summit is changing. We're pivoting a little bit. We are turning it into an RV Entrepreneur Roundtable. We're kind of changing the focus and making it from a presentation-style conference to more of a collaboration and roundtable. If you want to get more information on that, I just released a podcast earlier that's got all the details. And you can also go to the rventrepreneur.com summit. Biggest things to know, it's going to be more intimate, more discussion, more networking and collaboration. And we reduced the price down to $99 for the four-day event. It's going to be a super fun time if you can make it out to Montrose, Colorado, September 7th through 11th. I think you're really going to enjoy yourself, and you're going to come away with a lot of connections, enthusiasm, and ideas to help grow your business. Before we jump into the episode with Heidi, though, let's take care of our sponsor. The RV Entrepreneur Podcast is brought to you in part by RV Life Pro. Perfect for every RVer, you can plan your camping trips with RV Life Trip Wizard, then use the RV Safe Navigation with the RV Life GPS and Campgrounds app. Both are included in the RV Life Pro. Eliminate RV anxiety by knowing exactly where you'll camp, get fuel, and even grab lunch before you ever hit the road. RV Life has every campground, RV park, state park, and national park to fit your style. Plan your entire RV adventure, including fuel stops, rest areas, shopping, and entertainment. Go to RVLife.com and start your free 7-day trial, or download the RV Life app from the App Store. Travel dreams made simple with RV Life. Now let's jump into the interview with Heidi. Well, Heidi, welcome to the RV Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm excited to talk with you today. Go ahead and give us a a brief rundown. Who is Heidi and what are you doing?
1: Yeah. So Heidi is the host and founder of Ordinary Sherpa, which is a podcast for the most part that inspires families to connect through adventure. We are a family of five. And so I think part of this mission and the work of Ordinary Sherpa was to inspire people to say, A, you can have kids and adventure, and B adventure more, right? I didn't want to give up all those adventurous, fun things that I had at, you know, in my twenties and thirties. And so it's really been a fun journey to get my kids on board, to explore different ways. So RV Entrepreneur is really meaningful because I I found different ways to generate revenue and really support this lifestyle along the way. So it's been a really fun journey and I'm just meeting so many fun people. So that's in a nutshell, what I'm all about.
0: And so is Ordinary Ship a full-time gig for you?
1: No, it is a side hustle. So uh, okay. there's a couple pieces. I still have a W-2 job until the end of the year. My husband just resigned from his job. And our plan is that we have now reserved some money to keep supporting us on our adventures. And then we're generating some revenue through Ordinary Sherpa. And then he has a side hustle too. He's a handyman. So he does some side gigs as well.
0: Nice. Very cool. It sounds like you guys are you're, you're tra- you're in a life transition. What has spurred that? Why is now a good time to make that transition?
1: Yeah. We've been working for like 20 years, you know, and <laughs> it's just getting old. <laughs> I think that's part of it when you start to look back, you're like, "Man, a lot of it has to do though with our kids' ages." So, I have a 12-year-old, a 10-year-old, and a 6-year-old. And while I never stopped adventuring when they were babies and toddlers, I do see this window, I don't want to say closing, but there's definitely a a desire for my kids to lay down roots somewhere, and so there's definitely this you know, yearning to participate in youth sports and, and things like that that we haven't really done yet. So I really feel like the next couple of years we need to, I don't want to say go all out, but that's kind of what we feel like we're doing. We're going to spend a significant amount of time on the road. So generally speaking, we travel about four to five times a year on like two week stints. And it's just becoming not enough, I guess. I don't want to say like we're yearning for more, but at the same time, we always feel like we're rushing and we want to try mm-hmm. slow travel. And there's just a lot yet to explore. And the current confines of work and school are really kind of dampening our our jam.
0: Mm-hmm. So you're going to take off and do some extended travel this summer?
1: Yes. This summer, it will be our longest. Every time I say this, I'm like, it's our longest travel yet. So we'll be gone for just over almost three months, not quite three months for sure, a little over two. We don't exactly know when we're coming home, and I think that's part of the challenge and defining it. So we'll be heading up to northern Minnesota. We're from Wisconsin, so heading up to northern Minnesota, up into Banff, around Alberta, and British Columbia for a while, and then coming down into Idaho. And I don't know exactly what our route will be on our way back, but we'll eventually make our way home from Idaho, like July, August. I don't know. My husband's got a fishing trip in Northern Minnesota at some point in the end of July. So we have to be back for that. That's the biggest thing to worry about.
0: Nice. So how long have you been doing Ordinary Sherpa, the podcast?
1: I've been doing the work for a long time. I just put it into a brand in 2020. So I just felt like so many people wanted to go back to normal. And while I understood that desire I also was like you have an opportunity people like there's so much here that we could take advantage of and I was finding that Wednesday for example Wednesday afternoons while I was working full-time and while my kids were homeschooling I put that in quotes you guys can't see that but (laughs) I put it in quotes we found that Wednesday field trips were like the best week day of our life that week you know is just the best thing because we were out exploring and it wasn't So in the midst of like travel being shut down and the world as we knew it being, you know, turned upside down, we were finding solitude and really peace by going out in the woods and doing these really simple adventures. And for me, I was like, I think other parents could use this. I think this could be a resource that other people might find value in. And as I dug into adventure mindset and adventure education, there's just so many things around the platform of adventure that reinforce growth mindset. They reinforce things like mental health and well-being and physical well-being. So I wanted to frame the message as a story of hope and help and support. And with, that's kind of where the Sherpa mindset comes from, that, you know, we can help other people reach their summit. And mm. that, that has been the joy of the journey for me, right? This is really fun as much as it is a side hustle. It's also really fun to see where people are at and how can I help them accomplish new things.
0: Had you done any sort of content creation or podcasting before that?
1: I had. So back when like blogging just came on the scene and, oh gosh, it was probably like 2005, 2006. It may have been even later than that, maybe 2007, 2008. I had started my own blog and that was before I was married. So at the time it was all like wedding and lifestyle stuff. And then later around 2011, I had started a photography business. And so I had a blog related to the photography. So I had some experience in content creation. And then I had also just managed that type of work. I, I work in philanthropy, which is essentially helping donors give away money. And so I had done some work in like social media and creating content for other people as well. So I just perfected over the course of time, but I learned a lot when I decided, no, this is going to be my brand and my message. It was. It was a rekindling, I guess, of some of those old skills and also reminding me why I didn't love it <laughs> and the things I wanted to outsource going forward.
0: Mm-hmm. So, yeah. What have been some of the challenges of, you know, you had this experience with blog and photography. Now you're going to you're going to start doing ordinary sherpa and helping, you know, other people reach their summit through different venues. What were some of the roadblocks that you you came upon in Know, either marketing it or coming up with the name or, you know, finding subjects to talk about?
1: So the brand kind of happened. I don't know. It just kind of happened. And when I found it, I was just like, that's it. So Ordinary Sherpa, the name, landed pretty well because I really wanted to be a voice of ordinary people, ordinary families that, you know, I consider myself ordinary. I don't, you know, I'm, we might do some interesting things, but we're pretty ordinary by and large. And I didn't really love the idea of like being an influencer, I had a mindset around what that meant. So I knew what I didn't want to be. And that helped me really craft my message around what I did want to be. But some of the roadblocks were really getting out of my head sometimes. Things like how hard I was making things. I often was looking at the end goal as opposed to like, what should I do tomorrow? What do I need to do today to advance to this goal? And I Mm -hmm. had a million ideas. I just didn't know where to start with them. And often I felt like that was my biggest barrier was like, okay, My goal today is to take one step closer to this goal. And in the early days of just launching the podcast, that's everything from like finding my voice. Like, what do I want to stand for? How do I want to this message to land? Who is my target audience? All of those things really were shaped over time. You know, when I started, so I launched in November of 2020. I really didn't have an idea and I was okay with that. And I think part of the joy of this journey has been that I didn't have to figure everything out, that I was okay if only five people listened to my first episode. And now looking back, like it is the number 1 episode that everyone listens to, which is kind of like raw and a little bit vulnerable at times because I'm like, sure. "Ooh, that's not my favorite <laughs> episode, people. Like,
0: Yeah, I want is... you to listen to the latest one, folks."
1: <laughs> right. It gets so much better as you go. But I also didn't want to go back and redo that because I was like, this Mm -hmm. is where I came from. This is who I was. I talk about being authentically honest and, you know, in alignment with who you are and what you crave and what your dream list is and all those things. So I wanted to, I didn't, I wanted to honor that as well. So an interesting thing happened though, by almost mid January of 2021, someone picked up my podcast and shared it on their newsletter. And this is someone that's in like the number one, I don't know, top 1% of podcasts and then, you know. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm not ready. I wasn't ready for this. And so I had this lucky thing happen. And yet at the same time, my goal then was to, like, how do I keep them? How do I make my content sticky enough so they're finding value? And I didn't need to change. That's what I learned through it is it was good enough that they were sticking around anyway. And so I needed to embrace that that's a part of the journey, that it doesn't have to be perfect. The hard part for me now as I look forward is I have so many ideas and it's so hard to focus and decide how can I delegate some of these? How can I outsource them? So I outsourced my editing at the beginning of the year and now I'm just outsourcing some of my marketing work. And I'm probably not at the place financially that it all makes sense to do that, but I know that I'm okay with that right now. You know, I'm in year two and a half that I would like to really start accelerating some of those other ideas and bringing those to the table because that's where I really love to play.
0: Talk to me about the thought process that went into outsourcing your editing. I know in the content creation world, that is the sticky point for a lot of folks is many of them enjoy it, but it takes so much time. And yet when you hire an editor to do things of your content, the voice changes a little bit. What Mm -hmm. was your thought process around that? How'd you go about finding someone and what have you learned from it?
1: Yeah, it took me a long time to decide to hire, who to hire, to find the right person. And thankfully, this is the power, I think, of a network or of a community is I reached out to a couple of podcasters who I know had editors to say, do you have any leads for me? And that was helpful because what I found was A person who was doing like podcast editing school. And so he offered me some basic questions to ask and he would share it with his network. And I created a Google form just of the questions that I was looking for. And from that, I was able to assess okay, what is their vibe? Like, right? Do they align with the things I'm talking about? Do they, you know, will they understand my voice? Will they understand my audience? And I got through, I think I had like 15 applicants. And I was pretty like nonchalant about the the marketing process. I put it out there, but I wasn't like heavy, heavy marketing on all the different Facebook groups or anything like that. I just try to keep it within those that I knew. And from the 10 that I got, I think I selected five to interview. And part of the interview process was I gave them an episode, a raw audio. And I said, I'd love you to give me just five minutes, like go through this. And I knew it needed work, right? It was one that I had not edited yet and i wanted to hear what they got out of that raw episode versus what i got out of the raw episode and i compared notes and from there i went to the final two and then we just talked through pricing workflows you know what are their expectations of me what are my expectations of them and ultimately i landed on someone and i'm pretty happy you know i i would say i'm also at the point where i could utilize more of their services and it was a trust issue more than a money issue mm-hmm. or anything else it was sure. do i feel confident in their skill sets How much more can I give them? And part of it was I was just so used to doing so much of this work kind of at the last minute. You know, I would do my batch recordings and my interviews months in advance. Well, a month, you know, like 30 days in advance. But a lot of like the welcome intros and the key takeaways that I have in each episode, those were often happening like within the last couple of days before publishing. And so I was like, I have to get organized in order to really outsource or to really to put that added responsibility on someone else. Mm -hmm. And I'm just getting to that point now. So I've learned how we work well together. And thankfully, I think the work, when I tell them what I want and I'm a little bit more deliberate and directive on the front end, I get a much better result on the back end. So I am just learning to trust the process and that the skill sets of my editor are high enough that I don't have to worry about it. I can take it out of my, oh, brain capacity. You know, I can let let's mm-hmm. ease up some space for other things.
0: So when you're coming up with ideas for your podcast... What are some of the things that you're focusing on? What are some of the topics that you you know you can go back to and, and hit on? And what kind of things are you looking for in the guests that you interview?
1: Yeah. So I don't necessarily look for well-known, you know, high fluting guests. I have a couple I've had and I was like, oh my gosh, this is my dream list. So I have a dream list that I'll say, oh, I would love to talk to this person. A podcast is a great platform to have really interesting conversations with interesting people. So I do have a few of those. Sometimes I have people reach out to me, but more than not, I'm looking for someone who has an interesting adventure story. And it can be everything from the type of adventure that they're doing. So for example, I was following a family on that had done the Appalachian Trail, and their son, Harvey, it's the Sutton family, Harvey was the youngest person to hike the entire trail. He, he was five at the time. So I was like, well, that's an interesting story. And I think of all the people that have said to themselves, like, there's no way I could hike the Appalachian Trail. There's no way I could do that. Well, now to see that a five-year-old did it with his parents, I was like, that's a story of inspire inspiration. So I look for things that inspire in particular families and You know, if I was to niche it down even further, I would say almost working families who didn't think adventure lifestyle was possible. Either they, you know, now that I have kids, it's not realistic. So I wanted to inspire them to really know what was possible. But I also look for different types of adventure, meaning adventure is, you know, sometimes we think of adventure and we think, gosh, I got to climb Mount Everest or I have to go, I have to go rough in the woods, you know, I have to go do this wilderness thing. And I wanted to give a lens that the actual definition is really a new kind of risky or uncomfortable experience. It's not always these epic things. So they can be really simple things that are just different. And coming out of a pandemic or being in the pandemic, I don't know where we are anymore. It was a way to say, you don't have to just sit at home and spend hours online. You could get out and explore. So we'll do challenges like, how many hours are you spending outside? We do seasonal challenges. Also a way to hold people accountable and say, oh, I could do this and I can see myself. In this future lifestyle, if I'm not there yet, part of it is giving hope, inspiring, but also giving them practical steps, too. So I have little things that I've acquired through the years, everything from like travel rewards to brown signs. So a brown sign is one of those language things, a term I use. It's a local attraction that most people don't even see. But there's these opportunities that are hidden in every community across the world. I've had listeners in South Korea send me pictures of brown signs. But it's a way to start noticing what is even available in our own backyards? But they're often things that we wouldn't think of as being adventurous or traveling to the, you know, these exotic places always gets our mind going. And so we wish for those things and we, we lose sight, essentially, of the things that are in our own backyard.
0: Mm. For sure. It's super easy to, to lose sight of those things. You know, How many conversations I have with people that tell me where they're from, it's like, oh, I visited this. They're like, I've never been there. <sighs> That's an hour from my house and I've never been there. Right? But, you know, at the same time, we're going out and we're traveling halfway across the country to go see a national monument. And uh, it is very easy to forget all of the, the cool things that are in your own backyard. And I think it's just proximity. We're like, oh, it'll be there tomorrow. Yeah. And then tomorrow comes and you haven't done it yet.
1: Yeah. And I also have found... You know, the better I get at exploring my own local community, the better I am at traveling with my family and doing those things when we're there. So we're not always focused on the touristy things. You know, for example, go to Idaho or go wherever you want to those national monuments, but then look for like, what's the hole in the well restaurant or what does the local library look like? Do they have programs there for kids? For us, that's really important because we still try to connect and have community when we're traveling or we are on a mission. My youngest son loves ice cream. So his travel goal is to visit the, all the 50 states and taste the best small batch homemade ice cream in all 50 states, <laughs> things like that. They gave us an, an intention when we go, as opposed mm-hmm. to like always signing up for the attractions or the children's museums. You know, those things are fun, but they don't always help you really understand the what makes the community special or what's the fabric of the community. And so it's been a fun way, too, for us to get creative about exploring communities differently and traveling with really locals in mind. So how can we get to know people when we're on the road or how can we connect and create our own community and not feel like we have to have a budget, a vacation budget, right? Because once you start living this lifestyle, you're no longer on vacation. You're just having to fund your life as opposed to a vacation. And oftentimes people spend a lot more money on vacation than they would just in regular living.
0: For sure. And I think a lot of folks that do extended periods of travel, you know, the first time that they get past that two-week trip it gets longer than that they look back six months later like oh we are in travel mode we need to get into life mode and we cannot be doing every single tourist attraction that costs twenty dollars a pop in every location and eating out four times a week <laughs> so that's that's very very accurate i've seen yeah on some of your stuff you've referenced the term untourism is that what you mean by it
1: Yeah, that's essentially what it is. It's traveling differently. It's a way to really get, it It almost, it it merges together essentially adventurous lifestyle, which is our version of what we want our life to be, but also with some practices from like sustainability practices. So getting local as as close as you can to the source, right? In some of the local or slow foods, but essentially we're, we're looking for different ways to travel so that we connect with locals. That's what on tourism means to us.
0: What are some of the ways that you've been able to do that in the past?
1: Mostly it's been through meeting locals, you know, having a conversation. I often will ask if I go to a gas station or if we go to a restaurant, I will ask the waiter or the bartender or the, you know, cashier at the grocery store, what is the favorite place that you would get ice cream? Because mm. ice cream is very particular to us. Or what makes this community so special? How long have you been here? You know, and why didn't you leave? That's, those are some of the things like a lot of people will ask me, well, what brought you here? And I was like, well, what makes you stay here? So I think having some of those conversations has been a really helpful way to break the ice. You know, we started out this journey by really just Googling, quite honestly, like free things to do with kids in such and such a town. Mm -hmm. And I just, I think as communities get better at SEO, you start to see the touristy things pop up again. And so we've just had to dig deeper things like Facebook groups or, you know, things like that really building our community has been really helpful or connecting with other families who are doing these things from different areas. It's been really fun to get to know people. I've actually had my first, this is kind of an awkward, it was awkward at first, but now it's very normal for us where a listener had invited me to meet up with them and kind of in the process of us planning this i had said hey do you know it's just me and my daughter this time do you have any suggestions of where we should stay you know we're not big hotel chain people but i'm okay with that you know i'm not opposed to it it's just us and she's like well you could stay at our house if you want we have like a guest room and i was like well that seems weird but after i got thinking about it it was super fun i had traveled As a child, my family's huge. And so we had always traveled and like slept on the floor at my cousin's house, you know, and those Mm -hmm. were really fun connections. And so, as awkward as that might seem, you know, because in the world today, we're so afraid of harming our children or putting ourselves in stranger danger kind of situations. And so it felt awkward at first, but really, as I got to know this person and we had spent so much time working together, she was in a podcast course with me. It actually felt quite normal like it was community building again as opposed to we're going on a trip and staying with a stranger and so i think some of it is has been a journey it's not something you just i wouldn't have started there obviously sure. but now having built those relationships with people we often say too you know we're getting more and more into the boondocking space with our with our rv and we're a member of boondockers welcome not that i'm like promoting it or anything like that but it's been a fun way for us to say well Here's what we can offer you if you're ever in Wisconsin. You know, let us know. We'll meet up. You could park in our driveway if you wanted to. There's a lot of options. But now I'm thinking about like, oh, I can help them too. It's not just me asking for things that benefit me. I can return that favor as well.
0: Mm -hmm. It definitely is a a story of community. And like you said, it's a journey. It's not something, you know, if if someone starts a podcast tomorrow and a a listener reaches out the next day and says, hey, come stay at my house. No, that's Mm -hmm. not going to fly. No. But you know, as, <laughs> as you build community, and again, as long as you're showing your authentic self, you start building those relationships. It's really cool to see how different dots start connecting. And a picture that you didn't even know was being drawn is you know connected dots being, being shown out and displayed in front of you of building that community. And it's with the travel, it's cool to see how far and how wide that net begins to grow. So you said you've got a W-2 job through the end of the year. Is Ordinary Sherpa something that you envision taking full-time in the future? Like, is it something that's going to create a full-time income for you and your family to, to travel when you want to?
1: Potentially in the future. It'll probably still be a side hustle for a little while yet. So I should just give reference that we have been on this journey towards financial independence as well. So this side hustle is really working alongside things we've done previously. And Mm -hmm. part of that was having a pretty massive savings rate for a long period of time with the intention that we wanted to take a gap year. Now, I say gap year. I don't even know if it's going to be a gap year. It might be a permanent lifestyle. I'm not sure. (laughs) But the funds that we saved, we added an additional six month of living expenses and really tried to reduce all of our debt as well. Ordinary Sherpa is the active income for it, it's not fully funding our lifestyle yet. Do I want it there? I'm often like nervous about this because, uh, you know, sure. having a photography business previously, it became a job. It wasn't as yep. fun. I didn't enjoy it as much. And so we're trying to really keep that balance in our sight of how much of this do we really want to rely on the business. We are for sure testing different streams of income to say which one works, which ones bring us the most joy in the process, which ones are really worth the work, if that makes sense. You know what this mm-hmm. means, right? There's certain yep. things that just the ROI is not there, but testing it has still been a fun part of the process. So we're not there. Ordinary Sherpa is not going to fully fund us in 2022 or 2023, but maybe in three or four years, it could be much closer if all of those pieces align my husband and I are also open to other things. So I always felt like I'm okay potentially going back to work for lack of a better word, but if if we feel like this is too stressful or if it's not really helping us with stress reduction or our well-being takes a plummet because of all of this, well, I'm not opposed to going back to work either. This was just something we wanted to test in our life before you know, comes a point where my kids are gone or out of the house. And I feel like I don't want to have regrets. How's that sound? <laughs> so I'm mm-hmm. open to trying a lot of different things, but I don't have no, that's a, really cool. Uh, yeah,
0: that's really cool. And I think, you know, just the whole fire movement and financial independence is gaining so much more traction because it makes so much sense. It makes yeah. so much sense. And the, the flexibility to be able to say, Hey, we're going to take at minimum a gap a year. And if these side hustles totally flop, we're not going to be in the poor house. Like we'll be able to right. figure it out. We have this plan set. There's a lot of comfort in that safety net and there's a lot of flexibility in that safety net too, because you're right. Maybe ordinary Sherpa fizzles out and it's not what your, your lifelong passion is or something that is going to be for the next 10 years. But when you're on this road trip this summer and you're out, you find something that just pops up and that's the thing. You got the flexibility to pivot. And I think that's really cool.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's part of the reason I've learned not to plan too far out. You know, I think part of this process, once you become a traveling, adventurous family, you learn to pivot quick. I think that's what I've learned, too, is if everything's planned out, I have less flexibility. If, if all of my accommodations, the way I used to travel was everything was planned, literally day mm-hmm. by day by day by day. And it just felt stifling. Like we didn't have enough, we'd find something that was really cool and we never had time to do it because they're just, you know, we didn't have enough space in our schedule and we had to get back to work or whatever it was. And so that has been, I think, a learning throughout this process that the more we can offer opportunities to really iterate on the road or on the fly and get some feedback and say, okay, what did we like about this? What do we don't like about this? It's given us a lot more power to have control over what the next Day looks like, really. I mean, we've really embraced slow travel because there were so many times I felt like we were saying no more than we were saying yes to the opportunities when we were there. And that that just didn't feel authentic to us. We wanted to really create more space in our schedule and in our life to do those things. So it feels the same thing with the business.
0: So I really like how you're expressing everything as a journey. There's a lot of folks out there that have a end goal of being full-time RV entrepreneurs, but the realistic nature of it is you don't go from working a nine to five in a sticks and bricks one day and the next week you're full time RV traveling with a full fledged, independent entrepreneurial business and making it work. So I really like how you're you're including a side hustle and just doing what you're passionate about, but also figuring out ways that, you know, you're providing value in the information that you provide to the community. It makes sense that you would get value back in the form of monetary compensation or, you know, sponsorships, all the different avenues that you can go down in that realm talk to me a little bit about how you've balanced working like i guess the fade transition between having a corporate job and living in a sticks and bricks but also wanting to get out more have more flexibility and include different streams of income into your lifestyle
1: yeah so when this started i i am full-time and my husband is a teacher just for clarity so my husband has off in the summertime so that was usually what defined our travel was my husband's schedule Having the flexibility to go remote has been huge in terms of us being able to travel a little bit more. And that, I think, was the basis. That was kind of the start is, okay, I can work remote. How many hours a week do I really want to put into this side hustle business, right? From the beginning, it was a curious journey. It was something that I was just exploring. And so it did take a lot of time up front. And as it started to really take off, that was where I questioned, like, how much of my life do I want to give up? to do these things, right? Cuz if I'm mm-hmm. if I'm sitting behind the mic or sitting behind the screen working on my business and not adventuring with my kids, that feels hypocritical. Right. And so a lot of for example, I just wrote a book. A lot of the work that happened on the book happened between 5 to 6 a.m. in the morning or 8 to 9 at night because those were the two hours where I was still present in my family life. I wasn't, you know, infringing on the hours I was working at work. And for the most part, I was in a good, clear mental space that I could actually think and write (laughs) because there's also, you know, like 5 to 6 p.m. just is not my power to hour of like creative time. I'm in exhaustion mode, like taking care of kids, entertaining, cleaning up from dinner. It's just it's not the best time for me to be thinking about that. And sometimes it's a matter of communication of like, husband, I have a recording at this time. I need you to keep be mindful that the kids can't be online because we still live in rural community. And so our Internet can be challenging. (laughs) <laughs> or I needed the quiet, the sound to be quiet. Like you can't be playing right. in the garage because the garage is next to my studio. So there's these things that you start to learn about. And slowly, I've just found a niche that there are certain hours of the day that are work time, and then there's certain hours of the day that I just block. Like these are untouchables. These are family time. And most often, those are right after, you know work or school happens. Those are untouchable time. Those are family hours. I really try to keep my weekends open. So, Saturday is an untouchable day. I do a lot of work on Sunday, Sunday afternoons, Sunday evenings, and then a lot of work. My podcast launches every Wednesday. So, um, I will raise my hand and be totally vulnerable and say most of my work is happening Tuesday night at like eight o'clock <laughs> just to get to the next episode out and have everything ready on the website. There's a ton of work that goes in just the night before. So, I'm still there. I mean, I'm still kind of scraping by a little bit. And that has. You know, once I fell into, I didn't want to replace a 40 hour week job with another 40 hour week job because I had to figure out how to optimize it. So things that I've also learned are things like workflows that are helping, automations, having templates created so that when I'm scheduling guests, I do the same thing over and over and over again. It's not like there might be a unique flair or a niche that I want to follow in, but the process is still the same. And so having some of those tools created has allowed me to really optimize and be more efficient with my time. And yeah, I think that's probably the key right now is, and because I'm trying to scale and outsource, I need someone else to do this work to the quality that I feel good about. And so those types of things are really helpful And having open communication with those two vendors in particular to help me, you know, Mm -hmm. do the things I want, as opposed to me feeling guilty or feeling like I'm stretched. I guess that's, it's still, like I would say, (laughs) and I probably already said, it's, I'm not, I was so far from perfect. And thus journey like I've said before too, that there's still things I want to make better, but having some, you know, non-negotiables, I'm not going to sacrifice quality. I'm not going to sacrifice my message or my core audience. I'm not going to sell out, you know, I'm not going to have a sponsorship, sell me out on something that I don't think is a good fit. So getting really right. in tune has also helped me understand what I am and what I'm not.
0: Mm-hmm. Knowing that you're going on the longest trip that you guys have done yet, how do you think that that will change, or that you'll have to be flexible? I know I had grand ideas of having set office hours, you know, throughout the week, and then this past six, seven months of us being full time on the road, a lot harder to stick to that six to five or five to six and eight to nine, you know, on certain days of the week, especially if it's a travel day. How do you envision that changing, and do you have a plan? for the flexibility.
1: It's kind of funny you mentioned that because you had a guest on and I wish I could remember who it was, but every day you land is a Sunday, (laughs) right? So you start the week and your first day, our first day after travel is usually we pretend it's a Monday or similar mindset because that kind of level sets us to say, okay, this is a transition. This is a down day. And that has been true. So that's not a new phenomenon for us. We've always had I shouldn't say that sometimes day two, either day one or day two is a down day, because usually depending on how long we've traveled, we may just need to get out because we're stir crazy. Mm -hmm. But generally speaking, there is a down day and down day is usually when I will do my work. But I would agree. I've had to batch a lot. I did two months worth of content that i'm hoping will be done before i go knowing that a l- the bulk of the work is really done and so i'm giving myself 8 hours a week to really try to focus on okay now what it's either cleanup or you know preparing for the next 2 months or 3 months you know starting in august i'll have another batch of of work to do but I've tried to get really intentional of working ahead. Having that content calendar has been a really helpful tool so I know what I'm working on and who I can plug in where. Those have all been just really helpful tips, but I know it's not going to be perfect. And there's going to be days where I'm just going to say, husband, and I do call him a husband. It's probably weird, but I'm like, husband, <laughs> I need a day, right? And this happened when I was writing my book. I was like, I just need a day. I got the stuff back from the editor. This can't sit another week. I just need a day. Thankfully, he's really supportive of just taking the kids, giving me a couple of hours of focused time. And I think that's also really important. You know, as much as we, I don't like to multitask because you just don't do your, I don't do my best work when I'm multitasking. So if I can have time when I'm not thinking about the kids or dinner or what we're going to do today, and I can just focus on my work, things tend to go a lot smoother and go faster than I expected them to. So I think creating some focused time is going to be critical.
0: You mentioned a book and I want to hit on this. Have you always wanted to write a book?
1: No. <laughs> so where
0: no, did it, it was come not from?
1: really even on the journey. It was something someone said, and it just they kept saying it over and over and over again. Finally, I listened. They said, you should write a book, essentially. And I was like, why? They're like, because you are doing some interesting things that most people probably have never heard of. And I don't think I'm that interesting. Mm. So I did not think I needed a book. But as I got further and further along just the journey of like, how did we come to this place of adventure being the lifestyle that we're exploring? How do you do this every single day? Those types of things. I realized people were asking enough questions that it was just easier to put it in a book. I don't really enjoy solo podcast episodes. I just can't get into the depth of content that I would like to in a solo episode or even with guests. Sometimes it's hard to have even though they're forty minute episodes, it's sometimes hard to get into the like the nitty-gritty of like, how did we get here? Sure. What's the story behind this? And so the book became really the logical method to tell that
0: story. All right, cool. Yeah, it is interesting with podcasts. You almost you you give overviews and you scratch the surface of some things, but you know, majority of folks are not listening to Joe Rogan length episodes of three, four hours long. And so it's that's interesting. That's the second time I've I've interviewed an author and that's what they said. They said, you know, We have these other venues of things that we put out little batches of, but I wanted to dive deeper. And you can do that on a blog, but a blog is not as concrete as a book. When you put it all together in a book, it's all distilled in one spot. Again, you can can get down and get to those nitty gritty details in one setting and also take your reader through the process of, I want you to start here. I want you to end here. And this is how we need to get there. That's really cool. What did you learn while writing this book? What's yeah. the title?
1: Beyond normal, a field guide to embrace adventure, explore the wilderness, and design an extraordinary life with kids, is the title. And I know it's really long, but it's because of SEO, so you can blame SEO. But beyond normal is what I call it most often on podcasts. The book is really about our journey of growing up with kids, growing up really my backstory. I was not—I mean, we loved to travel, but we were not—you know—overly adventurous. I was not the person that was like jumping out of airplanes or doing all that. And those were my brothers. (laughs) I always say like I was I was the kid that was kind of more timid, that fell in line, that followed the rules. And it wasn't really until college that I really started to embrace this idea that life is more than just work and play, I guess. I wanted life to be more than work and play. How about that? Or I wanted play to be a larger portion of my life than work. Maybe that was a better description. And. It was because I think I had gotten to this point where I followed all the rules on my life and it didn't turn out. And I want to say it turned out. It turned out exactly as it was supposed to plan, but I didn't think that was the plan I wanted anymore. And so I had to have some permission for myself to really explore what life could look like. When I had my first child over 10 years, well, he's 12, so 12 years ago, there just weren't very many adventurous parents. And I just, you know, I couldn't find inspiration. I really felt like I had to figure this all out on my own. And given the dynamics of the world today, I wanted parents to not have to look so hard to figure it out, to feel supported along the way. And so that's really why I wrote the book. The hardest part was getting over imposter syndrome. I would not call myself a good writer. I had a really hard time thinking, like, what am I going to actually write about? And so I had this idea of a book brewing, and I had this a couple people actually saying, like, you have to write a book. And I was like, what are you going to, what do you want me to write about, <laughs> And so it actually took people telling me what they wanted to hear for me to help guide or create the outline. And once I had a better sense of like, oh, these are the things that my audience are struggling with, then it became much easier. But those first couple steps of just really understanding what my audience needed and feeling like I had a story that was worth telling or that people would want to hear and read, that was probably the hardest part of writing the book. And there's also, I'm not, I wouldn't call myself like a detail person. I work on details when I'm really stressed. So the also, the I guess the the other piece of this that I would say was really hard for me was just getting it published, <laughs> like just getting through the final steps of all the things you needed to just get it out there and into the world. And once it was launched, I was like, okay. Accomplished, right? And this is a long game. This is I'll be working on promoting and telling stories about the book and doing podcast episodes and things of that nature for a while. It's not like it's all over because I launched the book. This Mm -hmm. is just the beginning of the next phase of that process. And it's fun though, because I've also learned so many things in the process of writing my first book that I see the potential of a second book in the future, not tomorrow, but (laughs) (laughs) definitely already starting to curate stories that I'm like, oh, this would be good in the next book. So Now that I know I want to write a book again, I'm documenting things differently.
0: Sure. And isn't it interesting how you that happens with all sorts of content creation? You know, someone will start and they'll do a YouTube video. And then all of a sudden, after it's done and completed, now they've got 15 other things like, hey, I could do a video about that. I could do a video about that. (laughs) Same thing with podcasts, same thing with blogs. And, you know, writing a book while, slightly bigger endeavor than most of the other content creation same thing like oh i did it i can do this now i want to do about that too yeah absolutely
1: it builds confidence i think and then it really opens up the door in your brain of like oh i have all these ideas i can't put them all in one thing right it's not there was another i already had a guest talk to me about my book and they're like you didn't talk at all about on tourism i'm like well i did in the book but that's not what this book was about you know we'll talk about that but that's That wasn't the purpose of this book. So Mm. there's still things to write about.
0: (laughs) Is that what the next book's going to be about?
1: Kind of. I think it's more on the process that got us to Gap Year. So how did we get there? What did we do? What was our process? That's probably the next book.
0: Very cool. Sounds like, I mean, I don't know how much you're into documenting it all, but Gap Year sounds like a really good documentary title as well.
1: Maybe. We'll see. We haven't done YouTube videos or really any video partially because it just feels technical and I haven't gone there yet, (laughs) but maybe, right?
0: What have been some of the ways that you've decided to market the book? I know you have your own podcast, but I can see there being a fine line of, you know, okay, we've heard you've published a book. Don't tell us anymore. What other ways did you go out and market that you've published a book and and getting it into the right demographic?
1: So my goal is not necessarily to have a bunch of people buy the book. And I know that seems awkward, but I was all about building a community along the way. So the goal has really been, you know, if I have people on my podcast, I'll share. Most of them are on my email list. And so I would highly suggest if you don't have an email list as a content creator, get one. So a lot of my work has been through the email list and just cultivating other guests who are interested in the story ironically, this is kind of funny. The day I published a book, I had seven people reach out to me and say, hey, do you want to be a guest on the podcast? And I was like, you haven't even read the book. Like, how do you know it's good? <laughs> They're Like, well, we want to hear about it. Let's talk about it on the podcast. And I was like, well, that's funny. So it's interesting what happens when you write a book is that I didn't feel like I needed to talk about it as much on my podcast because a lot of it I'd already talked about. I Mm -hmm. keep it in the notes. You know, I'll bring it up from time to time as a call to action or something I'll reference from the book. But I really am not trying to sell the book on my podcast. What has happened through the last two years of podcasting and having guests and people getting to know me at conferences, I just went to my first conference, which was like, oh, such a nice little change to actually meet people in person. But in the, the years of creating content and creating a community... I have been really trying to work on supporting other content creators as well. And so I'm always promoting their work. And now it almost feels like they're naturally coming back to promote my work without me even asking. So I do think part of the mindset in being a content creator, when I meet with people, when I'm doing one-on-ones, or even if I'm having a guest on my podcast, I always say, like, how can I help you? What is your goal with this podcast episode that would help you extend your brand or would help you reach one of your goals? And that is starting to come back to me now as a reciprocal effort. Like people have said, you know, you helped me so much in getting my word out. And it was a really fun interview. How can I help you promote the book? And, you know, I've had a couple of podcast guests or, yeah, podcast guests that have their own podcast or their own blog that said, you know, would you put together like a 30 second promo of your book and I'll promote it? I was like, oh, sure. I didn't really have that on the list of marketing, but I would say, you know, some of that really word of mouth and and connection-based or community-based marketing is working for me. It's yeah. not paid marketing. Continuing to tell people what you need help with. This was the other thing is when I started to actually put things out, I gave people very specific ways that they could help me. If I want a review, here's a sample of a written review. Here's how to write a written review. And I had dif- different links on my website to help them through the process. I wanted the ability for them to help me to be as easy as possible. So if you want me to speak at your professional women's network, awesome. Here's what you need to do. You know, like I would pr- plant an idea, but then also tell them, here's how you can take the next step. So it's not hard for you. Because I think so many times people want to help you. They just don't know what you need or how to take the first step.
0: That's very profound. And I think it's it's super poignant in that, there's a lot of people that want to help. They don't know how. And as content creators, it's easy to feel like, "Hey, if I give them this example of how to write a, you know, a five-star review on iTunes, it it doesn't seem authentic." But at the same time, those folks want to do it. They're going to use their own words. They just don't know how. So if you give the template, everyone wins. That's really yeah. cool. Just providing opportunities and giving guidance. You know, I want to help you. This is how you can help me. Very cool. Yeah.
1: And you know, Josh, it's also interesting because I have over the years started to realize if I wanted to help someone, there wasn't always a clear path. You know, if I wanted to help you, an RV entrepreneur, what could I do? I'll, you know, I might challenge you on this. <laughs> like, tell me what I can do to help you. But then I started keeping my own notes. Like, I had an author say, you know, you don't. This doesn't cost you anything, but could you just add my book to your I want to read on? I think it's book burb, book blub, book. Oh my gosh, I can't even think of it. It's book bub. That's a hard. Why is that hard to say <laughs> all you have to do it is like add it to your library of books that you want to read and that plays with the algorithm to get on other people's list. And it so it's these really simple things mm. that I was like, oh my gosh, that literally takes thirty seconds. Why wouldn't I do that? So it's mm-hmm. also been just knowing like, how do I what are the options of things people do have to do? They don't have to buy my book in order to help me.
0: Sure. And I think that last thirty seconds just helps somebody listen to this podcast. They're publishing a book and they're like, oh, I should go into Goodreads and book Blurb and have my friends and the, you know, the podcast that I'm on put it on their wants read list so that it gets recommended by those algorithms. Cause I had no clue. So right? that's really cool. That's really yeah, cool. Yeah. And if
1: anyone's out there that's thinking about writing a book, feel free. Call me or, you know, message me. I'm willing to share all of this because I don't want everyone to have to go through the process I had to go through to figure it out. So
0: mm-hmm. I
1: i love those types of conversations and would love to help others in that process.
0: It sounds like a lot of your projects and your intent is around community. Podcasting is very one way, one direction. What ways have you connected with your community?
1: Yeah. Thank you. Because that was my intent the whole time. And then I realized podcasting is me sitting in a closet talking to a microphone. It's not a community, Mm -hmm. right? It doesn't feel like I'm in a room with all these really fascinating people. The first thing I did was create a Facebook group, which I don't love Facebook and I don't love Facebook groups, but it was a way for me to have interactions for my guests to ask me questions. And then I went into, I have a small like challenge program Where I get on one on one calls each season, we do like a a two month challenge and we just get on calls and we talk with each other. It's almost like group coaching, but it's just like a cohort. It's a short term group that we can interact with each other, ask questions and say like, what are you struggling with today? You know, how can I help those kinds of things? But it's a group like crowdsourcing session. And then I also have a way where people can just it's called buy me a coffee and people can just book a one-on-one and when they when they buy me one cup of coffee it doesn't take much it's $5 they can have a one-on-one with me for 15 minutes and so it's it's allowed me to really get to know my listeners better that has probably been the best way and then you know as you get to know people we comment each other on each other's Instagram posts and stories and things of that nature and even though I have not met most of my listeners yet I feel really connected to them. And so I think in, as we've gone about sharing and supporting each other, there is definitely a community aspect that is growing. And that was my intent from the beginning. I always say, you know, there's this quote that says, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Well, in quarantine, that was me, my husband and three kids. Like that was not, I needed to up my average, you know, I needed to meet other people and connect with other people that could help me think differently. And so it has also been a creative outlet, but it has been almost nourishing for my soul to meet with people who are inspiring me as well. So I get as much out of the connection time as, as my guests and my listeners do.
0: The buy me a coffee and 15 minutes of one-on-one conversation. Is it been well-received and well-utilized?
1: Yeah. I mean, If it meets, if that was what someone wants, it's an easy way for them to connect with me. I don't keep track. I wouldn't, you know. I maybe I've had a ten or fifteen in the Mm -hmm. last four or five months. So it's not a ton. I wouldn't say it's like a huge revenue generator or anything like that. But it's a fun way because I, if I was to choose how I would meet up with people, I would love to be like I imagine myself sitting in a coffee shop, right, just having a cup of coffee, sharing stories. Those are the types of conversations I would prefer to have. And so it sure. kind of feels a little bit metaphorical, like, oh, we could just do this. And I always try to make sure I'm a coffee fiend. <laughs> so I always try to like to let them know, like, oh, I'm drinking this kind of coffee today when I'm with you. It's, it's more fun than anything.
0: Very cool. It sounds like you've got your hands in several different things, all of them, again, reverting back to community with the podcast and the book and the Facebook community. How are you going to continue to do that and also grow the community aspect as your life is changing, as you're going on this longer trip? And then you said you're you're leaving your corporate job, your W2 job at the end of the year. Is the community portion of it, I assume is going to be at the forefront. Do you have any ideas on how you're going to add more fuels that fire?
1: Yes, that actually is the main focus for the fall of this year, is doing a more I'm actually building the client path right now like what would a success path look like in a community in a membership like framework
0: mm-hmm. so
1: that's where my next focus is going to be, you know, so I always say like, it's almost like the Chinese New Year, like 2020 and 2021 was kind of the podcast. And then the book was the year focus. So the next focus for me is on building community, things like family adventure retreats or meetups that are intentional and really invite my guests and listeners to come together and meet in person and do something in a short period of time. That's probably a focus. And then these I don't really like the word paid community, but it would be something that helps someone on their adventure lifestyle path. And I really continue to work with families with kids because that's that's where I am. That's who I speak to. And mm-hmm. I've it's interesting because I've had a lot of people who don't have kids and they were like, well, can I still join? I'm like, yes, you can still join. I'm just letting you know it's coming from a of lef- reference of having kids because it adds another layer to the work. But community is a major focus as we go forward is how can we meet up more, How can we meet and connect and do interactive type things through group coaching or hot seat challenges or things like that each month? So Mm -hmm. that is where the work is going. So you can, I mean, if you wanted to, you could find out more about that. It's all in waiting form. It's on a waiting list. I just did a beta group with it for the last six months and we're wrapping that up here in June before I leave. And then we'll be relaunching that in the fall. But you can get on the waiting list if you want. That's ordinarysherpa.com backslash arena. Like you're in the arena with all of us.
0: Nice. Well jumping off of that, go ahead and, and let us know where if folks are interested in connecting you with you Hadi or learning more about Beyond Normal a field guide to embrace adventure, explore the wilderness and design an extraordinary life with kids and your podcast. Where is a good place for them to go catch up with you online and connect?
1: Thank you. Thank you for offering that. Yes. Everything is available at OrdinarySherpa.com. So that is the website. From there, you can find the podcast. You can find my email list with a bunch of free stuff that's already out there. Or you can find me on Instagram. I post pretty regularly, although I am really trying to slow down and be more intent and present this summer so i'm already telling people like don't expect every single day i'm slowing down a little bit those would be the places where i would start because you can pretty much go as deep or as shallow as you want there
0: awesome heidi thank you for sharing that and guys i I listened to a few of the podcasts on ordinary sherpa and it's definitely going to stay on my subscription list of ones that i'm going to continue listening to it's been a pleasure talking with you heidi I'm definitely going to be checking out your book and hopefully we can connect on the road sometime in the future. It sounds like you guys have a, a really exciting year to 18 months coming up. And it's a foundation of who knows what's to come. But thank you for taking the time out of your day to be on the RV Entrepreneur podcast. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you. And thank you for the invite. I really appreciate your show. I have sub- really, honestly, I mean, I'm saying this most authentically is when I really started embracing the idea that we could be RV entrepreneurs, I wasn't sure where to start. And when I landed here, I was so excited because I have already found so much value from your content as well. So I really appreciate the guests that you bring on the show and the way you're supporting RVs on their own little journey.
0: I appreciate that. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Heidi. She was super fun to talk to and I can't wait to spend more time with her in person out in Montrose for the RV Entrepreneur Roundtable. I'll make sure to put all of Heidi's links to her book, her podcast, her website into the show notes of this episode. And if you have a moment, reach out to her on some of the socials, Ordinary Sherpa, and let her know one thing you gained from listening to this podcast. If you can't join us for the Roundtable in Montrose, make sure you jump onto the online community and the Facebook group. TheRVEntrepreneur.com slash Facebook group will take you there. And that's all I have for today. We'll catch you on the next episode.